Good morning. I'm Stuart Fink, and I'll be sharing about what do I want to be when I grow up. Some of you may be thinking, isn't he already grown up? Others may be thinking, isn't he way beyond grown up? And those who know me somewhat well are probably thinking, he'll never grow up. (laughs) When I was in elementary school, my fourth grade class was going to do a production of Peter Pan. I was cast as one of the lost boys in Neverland. We had to learn a song that required responsive singing as follows. Peter Pan says, Are you ready for today's lesson? And we said, Yes, Peter. Listen to your teacher. Repeat after me. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Just to learn to be a parrot. Just to learn to be a parrot. And recite a silly rule. And recite a silly rule. If growing up means it would be beneath my dignity to climb a tree. I'll never grow up. Never grow up. Never grow up. Not me. See, I'm not alone. At that time, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I went to school, did my homework, and played with the neighborhood kids. Oh, and I also went to Hebrew school, as we were nominally Jewish, until I had my bar mitzvah at the age of 13. That is when I supposedly became a man and could attend adult services at the synagogue. I stopped going to services. (laughs) And my parents did, too. I did well in public school, taking advanced courses in junior high school and high school. When I began college, I put down psychology as my major. I still did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up. However, I enjoyed the psychology classes, especially abnormal and child psychology, (laughs) which I still think are relevant to everyday life. I had always done well in foreign languages, having taken years of Hebrew and French classes. In fact, my junior high school French teacher had recommended that I should teach French. I had also enjoyed a bookkeeping class I took in high school. Thinking that it was more financially rewarding, I switched to accounting as a major, believing I could finally start my career after graduation. I looked forward to the easy life of full-time working (laughs) without any more homework to do. (laughs) However, based upon my department chairman's recommendation, I went to graduate school for two years and got my MBA in finance. When I finally started working at an accounting firm and got my CPA certificate, I figured this was what I was meant to be as a grown-up. Little did I know that I suffered from wanderlust. In 1978, I moved from New York City to San Francisco, where I started work at another CPA firm. After getting laid off in 1982, I took a personal growth course with LifeSpring, where I learned a lot about myself and my potential. It boosted my self-worth and awareness, 
and made me more conscious about the meaning of being. To me, being isn't what my occupation is or my ethnicity. Most people don't grow up. Most people age. They find parking spaces, honor their credit cards, get married, have children, and call that maturity. What that is, is aging. And that's a quote from Maya Angelou. I became married, a dad, and a member of Star King UU Church. I think what I wanted to be when I grew up was a person who lives the seven principles of Unitarian Universalism. I also think what I wanted to be was someone who always retains some part of my childlike wonder. I will close with this quote from C.S. Lewis. Someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. (laughs) So what do I want to be when I grow up? In my work history, I had a number of business cards. Some had reasonably impressive titles on them. One was even two-sided when I was dealing with many Asian clients, English on the one side and Japanese on the other. Neither the printer nor I was aware that middle initials don't translate into Japanese. There it was, all that beautiful Japanese writing, but with an immense capital A in the middle of my translated name. Thinking about all the business cards I had during my working life and how I happened to acquire each, I never was able to obtain the ones I dreamed of as a boy. Those were never printed. They've eluded me all my life. A couple of years ago, I Googled myself. Big mistake. (laughs) There were quite a few Robert A. Meyersons. When I found me, I was shocked to see what someone thought I should be remembered for. It was an article I wrote during my tenure as an insurance consultant a dry, technical piece which I had sent off to a financial magazine for publication and which got reprinted in several venues. One day I received a phone call from a friend who found the ads for, who found the article reprinted in the United Airlines flight magazine. (laughs) I suspect between the ads for uh, their frequent flyer program and fake Swiss Army knives. It isn't that I'm ashamed of that article. It was okay for what it was. But what it certainly wasn't was the thing I'd most like to be known for. Whoever dug it up actually bestowed some degree of praise just prior to revealing a total lack of understanding of what the piece was about. (laughs) I felt that if I was going to be Googled at all, especially for something I'd written, this was probably the last thing I'd choose. I had a pretty successful career in the insurance claims field. I rose within the various companies where I was employed. I was a home office supervisor for a major international insurer, advising branch offices in Europe, Asia, Africa, and Australia. That job actually brought me to California, a move which I've never regretted. I was promoted to vice president in my last corporate employer, Best of all, at a business meeting, I met my future wife, Diane. It was a, that was a pretty fortunate meeting for me. 
maybe even for her. <laughs> and when I took an early retirement from that company, I spent the next 10 years as a self-employed litigation consultant to attorneys involved in insurance disputes. Truth is, in retrospect, I was damn good at my profession, but it was never a passion. There's always a way to pay the bills. Whoa. Let me step back. I may be giving a skewed picture of how I earned a living during my working years. In reviewing what I've written so far, it sounds like I've lived my life in a torture chamber. Not so. In many ways, it was a rewarding career. It was often challenging and at times very stressful. But the truth of the matter is, even with the passage of time, I can say without qualification that never, as a young kid, did I ever wake up, look in the mirror, and say, God, make me an insurance claims adjuster. <laughs> I can't even imagine some legally sane youth saying that. But like most of us, not all, reality and a degree of practicality would eventually set in. The fact that I could hit a baseball harder and farther than many of my friends didn't erase the fact that I was not even close to a professional career. When I was in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, during my Navy years, we had several baseball teams, each representing one of the several bases that make up the overall installation in Guantanamo. My team finished last. We were just awful. Someone set up a game between a local Cuban team and an, quote, all-star team selected from the six or eight base teams. One of the rules was that each of the teams had to have at least one player on, all, on the all-star team. As noted, we were a really bad team. I was selected as our team's representative to the all-star team. The league rules dictated that each of the base teams had to have one representative. To put it another way, I was the least awful from an awful team. <laughs> I put that fact into disregard section of my brain. I was an all-star. Someone said so. Major League Scouts, heads up. I don't know if there are any big league scouts in attendance. If there were, they would have seen Slugger Bob watch nine strikes whiz by in his three plate appearances. The next week, I decided to hedge my bets and applied to college, starting immediately after my Navy discharge. I had friends who also aspired to be two athletic careers. Most, like me, took up more realistic endeavors by their early 20s. Some, however, hung on into their 30s and beyond. I ran into a high school star football player many years later, still wearing his tattered high school varsity sweater. He never made a career in football, or for that matter, anything else. The high point of his life was being named honorable mention in the state's mythical high school all-star football team. During my college years, I found I was able to put words on paper in a reasonably cogent way. Next stop, a Pulitzer Prize for sure. <laughs> One of my professors was Margaret Coit, an award-winning biographer, Bernard Baruch, her most famous. You may, not have the you may or may not have the talent, she told me, but you'll never be a writer. <laughs> You'll get a good, mentally challenging job, and, and at day's end, the last thing you want to do is write. I know you won't heed my advice, 
get an assembly line job where your day is spent in boring repetition, then devote all of your off time to a disciplined routine of writing. But you won't do that. You want a money-making career. <clears throat> she was right. After college came the, the job search. Later, when I had more or less settled down to the into the insurance claims field, I took up the five-string banjo as a hobby, took a few banjo lessons from a well-known folk musician. After two lessons, I decided I would like a career as a folk singer. <laughs> Fortunately, I did not quit my day job. Learning to carry a tune and the ability to play three chords on a stringed instrument does not make one a professional and by no means a ticket to a meaningful career. <clears throat> in 1969, some friends suggested I run for town council in my small New Jersey town, one which had never elected a Democrat to any office. And so I ran. And each morning I get up to go to work and practice my acceptance speech. Not for my hoped election to this $400 a year municipal job. No, I was rehearsing my inaugural address when sworn in as president. <laughs> I lost the town council election, coming much closer than anyone ever had, losing by about 60 votes out of 3,000. Hopes of national office then seemed charitably a trifle unrealistic. Maybe I'd settle for being a movie star instead. <laughs> what am I suggesting? Give up the dreams of your youth? No. I'm suggesting that there comes a time for realism. Follow those passions as long as they contain the ring of plausibility. I could have wasted a lot of time trying to be a professional ball player or going to hang out in New York's Greenwich Village waiting to be discovered as either the next Pete Seeger or Truman Capote. All of those youthful dreams were things at which I was pretty good. In retrospect, I was nothing more than borderline adequate at some and totally inept at others. So as an insurance claims specialist, I spent my years earning a living helping people through their catastrophes, for the most part, fulfilling a necessary function in a modern society, but a far cry from my youthful ambitions or more accurately, delusions. There is a silver lining. It's known as maturity, or at least for me, retirement. <laughs> After retirement, I began to write more, and I think better than ever before. Years earlier, I had abandoned my baseball ambitions, partly because of physical limitations, but more because of a reconsideration of what was realistic. Although I still have my baseball glove, I'm really not sure why. I now belong to two writers' workshops, and my essay style seems to be well accepted by my peers. Many of my writings have been presented from this and other UU pulpits. My banjo playing, while still as I generous, generously describe it, is that of a semi-competent amateur. But I do get to play once a month with an organization comprised of many professionally talented fiddlers, guitar players, and singers who welcome me to join in and even to lead some of the songs I love. Another advantage of age is that many of the folk songs I sing are unfamiliar to many, 
And when asked, did you write that song? <laughs> I avoid the temptation to accept credit. There's always the chance that someone in the audience just might know the true authorship. <laughs> One thing about those truly talented writers and musicians, it seems to me the more proficient they are, the more generous is their willingness to share without jealousy or judgment. Take the lead, I often hear from my superior musicians. I wish I was able to write essays the way you do from truly talented published authors. An aspect of true talent, it seems, is earned self-confidence manifesting as generosity. The wannabes seek out those they view as having a lower skill set, fearing comparisons. It's a fine line, I think. Don't let your childhood dreams die without giving them a try. But there comes a point in time to apply a dose of realism. Don't be a 40-year-old waiting to be drafted to a major league team or a 50-year-old writer just waiting for a call from the Nobel Committee or a 60-year-old with your instrument case opened for tips performing in the free area of the BART station living the delusion that a lucrative recording contract is just around the corner. <laughs> Dreams and youth are wondrous and inspiring and should be nurtured. But the realism that comes with maturity and age also have benefits and supply comfort. It is maybe sad fact of life that practicality guides in large part our courses throughout life. <laughs> and while that last might sound cruel, it need not be. I speak for myself. Recognizing limitations imparts to me a feeling of peace. So I've discussed those who follow their unrealistic dreams forever and those who abandon them too soon. There is a third category. Dad had a name for them, the big I am. The self-appointed gurus of what you should do. The critics and censors, they'll tell you what choices you should make and what you can and can't say. They decide what's appropriate. They judge and prejudge. Beware, they are ever-present. They are the know-it-alls, the self-righteous blowhards. They demand the final word, even on things of which they know little or nothing. Cross them and they'll wave a fist shouting, I disagree, you can't do that. I am the big I am. Appropriate response, I think, is a quick, oh, yes, I can. Maybe a wave back with just an open hand or possibly just a fifth of an open hand. <laughs> Not suitable in all circumstances. <coughs> Theirs is a pompous attempt to stifle creativity, having little or none of their own a perverted negative attempt at relevance. It must be resisted. If your effort ultimately proves successful, rest assured, the big I am will proclaim how they were always been with you. It's called finding a parade and getting in front of it. I guess amnesia helps as well. The big I am's, like other bullies, have power only if given to them. Let the passage of time and the people you respect judge your efforts, not the big I am's. In Greek legend, Icarus learned, yearned to fly. He made wings of feathers and wax. 
He flew, but his ambitions made him soar too high, and the sun melted the wax. Icarus fell to his death. Let your ambitions soar, but recognize when you're getting too close to the sun. So back to those business cards. I'm torn between President of the United States, winner of both Nobel and Pulitzer Prizes, Baseball Hall of Fame, Academy Awards <laughs> folk singer. Uh, I may have left something out, and I'm not sure they'll all fit on one business card, but I'm still thinking about it. 